Amen. It's a good day to be in church. We're getting there. I might be dead when it happens, but we're going to feel it one of these days. How many of you are ready to build a church? Me too. Me too. I'm tired of setting up and tearing down. But uh, before we get into the heart of the message today, I want to pray uh, for a young lady. Her name is Alexis Russin. She's 18 years old, uh, is in stage four of ovarian cancer, and uh, she is not doing well. She's back in the hospital, and uh, hospice is being called in, but we're believing God for a miracle um, and believing God to touch her right there and there. So I know Alexis, Heather, uh, Rod, Seth, Taylor, the entire family's there uh, praying. So do you mind bowing your heads with me, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you are the great healer, the great physician. God, I love doctors, I trust doctors, but I trust to believe that you're still at work and that you're going to do a miracle in her life. This young lady, even this morning, asked one of our prayer team members, God, give me 10 to 20 more years on this earth. God, I pray that you exceed her expectations and her desires today. God, I pray that you walk out of there healed from the tips of her toes to the top of her head. Heal her. Give Heather and Rod strength as they're navigating this. Speak peace to that entire situation, and we look forward to her healing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We're believing that. So, Alexis, I got to see you on Friday, and we're believing God uh, to touch you and bless you. We want to say an awesome morning, a good morning to our guys over at the Branchville Correctional Facility. Good morning, fellas. Awesome to have you. I got to speak there live last Thursday. It was an incredible experience. We have guys in there who are legitimately going in back to their dorms and sharing the gospel behind closed doors. So even though they might be locked up physically, they're setting people free spiritually. And those guys should be praised, man, because they should be down and out, and they're doing something awesome in there. So, fellas, keep it up. I'm going to be back. It's going to be awesome to be a part of that. This is the most exciting Sunday I have been a part of the Hills Church. Now, let me tell you why. Not only do we have our groundbreaking today, which is awesome. When you break the ground, that means a church is coming behind it, right? We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of God's story. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we believe in winning, training, and sending people in the Midwest for Jesus, and it's our desire to do that until Jesus comes back or I die and the next pastor changes it. But I believe that we are set up perfectly to do something incredible for this city because I don't want, when I die, I don't want Christianity to die with us. I want it to outlive us. I want it to do more than we ever thought possible. I'm okay if the next generation does better spiritually than we do. Right? Let me give you a little blowback in time. 20 years ago, okay, in 2000, let me take you back to 1970. In 1970, 40% of all Americans, this is not a political statement, this is a spiritual statement, 40% of all Americans considered themselves practicing Christians in 1970. If you fast forward to 2020, 
4% of Americans consider themselves practicing Christians. Lest we die, something has to change. Somebody's got to step up and go, not on my watch. I'm not okay with this. This isn't going to happen to me. And we have a church. We are a group of believers who has chosen to say, not on my watch. We're not letting this happen on my time right? We're not going to leave the next generation set up in a position to fail. We're going to set them up to really make it work so that they are in a better position than we are. I don't care if our kids and our grandchildren do better than us spiritually. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that we live in the sacrificial generation so that they don't have to start at this level, so that they don't have to figure out how to sit up and tear down every week. They don't have to figure out, we're kind of like the Israelites, man. You don't know where we're meeting next. You got to stay up on Facebook, find out if we're even having church. Like these guys have church, they don't have church, they're in a movie theater, they're at a campground, they're here, they're there. I can't wait for all of that to go away because it starts today by us putting our foot in the ground and then by Easter of 2023, we're in our own space that is actively training, winning, and sending people forever. Now, how do we do that? The last three years have been crazy. I don't know, like our story is jacked up and I love every piece of it because that proves that only God can get the glory. Let me explain to you what was happening. Okay, the week we were getting ready to start Take the Hills, this very thing that you see us doing, the week we were getting ready to start it, COVID broke out and we had to cancel services. We were getting ready to build a building and COVID blew up. So we weren't able to do it. We were like, maybe God's not in this. Then we get to October, we have a lead pastor change. That's not fun. Then you get the guy who doesn't even want to be the lead pastor, and you make him the lead pastor. Right? So he comes in, and he's like, I don't want to do this. I hate preaching. You're the man. You're the guy God called, so let's do it. And then we do that. We buy the property, and then we take the rat pack. We're moving around town. It doesn't make sense. The economy's tanking. Everything's going the wrong way, and you're like, we're going to go towards Jesus. We're going to follow him. And so our story very much lines up with the story of Abraham. And for the next five weeks, I want you to commit to be here and follow along how our story and Abraham's stories are intertwined. You don't believe me. Abraham's situation is jacked up. His name, Abram, means father. When his name later gets changed to Abraham, it means father of many. The problem is Abram is not a father. He's 75 years old and has no children. That's when God decides to change things. How many of you would like to have your first child at 75? Some of you, that's going to happen. I'm praying for it. (laughs) We're going to have pregnant 75-year-olds all over this joint. It's going to be miracle after miracle after miracle. People cussing me out every day. Stop praying. In order to do this, in order to have these miracles, in order for you to be named something, let's go to Genesis chapter 12, and it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And all the families, everybody say all, all the families on earth will be blessed in you. All the families on earth will be blessed in you. If you don't understand the spiritual significance of Abraham, let me give you a little background into his story. Of the three major faiths in the world, Muslim, Judaism, and Christianity, all of them have the same father of the faith. It's Abraham. Over half the believers in the world, this is the guy we look to and we go, he is the foundation. Yet he, at 75, is not a father. He's not a father of not even one child. And God turns to him and says, oh, by the way, here is the promise I have to you. You're going to be the father of every nation. That's a daunting task at 20, let alone 75. So here he is, 75 years old, and in Matthew chapter 28, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. You know who is of the lineage of Abraham? Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. So here Abraham is at 75 years old, God told him, hey, I'm going to use you to inherit, populate the earth, make me famous. Oh, and by the way, my son is going to be one of your lineages. That's a daunting task at 75. That's not something you look forward to and you go, maybe God wasn't speaking clearly. Abraham's promise has become our promise. Anything that was lucky enough to be blessed up under Abraham was blessed. You are a descendant of Abraham. We are all blessed because of him, because of a promise and the way he responded to the promise. So we got to ask ourselves, what's our response to this promise? The first question is this, am I really listening to and following God? The way you answer that question is who's in charge of your life? That means putting your yes on the table and letting God take it from there. God, I'll do whatever you call me to do. You can do it. But a lot of us, we don't live that way. We want God to handle things our way. Abraham lived open-minded, intentionally open-handed, going, whatever. How many of you would not believe me if I came up and told you, I come up and say to you, you're going to have a child and everyone's going to be blessed because of you but you're 75. Just go home and tell one of your friends what your nut job pastor just told you. They're like, don't go back to that church, man. That guy, he's weird. Something's wrong with him. You're 75. Everything's shriveled up. You're not having a kid. But here's Abraham. God sends him and doesn't send him with a plan. He just says, go, leave your friends and family. I don't know if you know this about, but blip, Biblical times, they don't have anything but their friends and family. That's all they know. They didn't live in a city. He lives out in the desert. Go leave all of them to the land I'm going to send you. 
He doesn't send them with a plan. Many of us, we won't do anything without a plan. How many of you are severe planners, over planners? Right? You would not do well in this situation. You need to be more like me. I love it when the wind changes. I'm like, woohoo, that got canceled. I only celebrate when things get canceled, not at it. But God has this moment with Abraham like, hey, close your eyes, hold on to my hand, I'm going to take you on a journey. Many of us would not live with Jesus this way. We like to be in the driver's seat. We tell Jesus, we're the pilot, you're the co-pilot. But you don't realize that Jesus used Carrie Underwood to help you. She says, Jesus takes the wheel and you ride over here, you are Jesus' passenger on the journey. You cannot be in the driver's seat and with Jesus. Jesus does not let you drive. He doesn't trust you to drive your own life. He drives, and you have to be willing to let go. It's not about your will, but allowing God's will to take place. That's what is incredible about Abraham is he just kind of open-handed with God and go, God, if that's what you said I need to do, I need to do that at 75. Start something new at 75. I can't even get up out of bed at 40. I woke up and I just, everything hurts. It's not easy just to get up and start doing things. At some point, you have to make a decision to follow God no matter the cost or how you look to everybody else because this has to look incredibly foolish to everybody else. This doesn't line up. What would it mean to you on a personal level? What would it mean if God said, hey, you've got to change your job. You need to change your address. You need to change the way you live. In America, the way we handle Christianity is we like to change a couple moral characteristics about ourselves, not everything. We don't hand everything over to Jesus. We just hand over our, you know, our spiritual compass. And we're like, Jesus, you can handle the spiritual compass, but the second you make me uncomfortable and ask for more, I'm in the wrong church. If Jesus wants me to make a bigger sacrifice, I'm in the wrong place. So you just go find another church that speaks to your compass. What's amazing is you'll go to a church where people made tons of sacrifices years before you so that you can sit there with the compass, right? How many of you have been in a church over 100 years old? Yeah, amazing, isn't it? A hundred years ago, somebody thought about you. They made sacrifices so you can sit there. But there was somebody in your lineage of what you heard, of what you practiced, that gave everything they had so that you could sit there and hear the word today. You know, you can't piggyback on someone else's engagement in the mission. If you're a part of the mission, if you and me were going out to war, it would not be okay for you to just run behind me and be like, I'll carry the gun. Be like, no, 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 you can't hide behind me. I need you holding your part up or else we're going to get shot. And a lot of people like to piggyback. They're like, I'll go to the biggest church in town. Why? Because they don't require sacrifice. Somebody else has already sacrificed on my behalf. And we need to be a little bit like Abraham when it doesn't make sense going, God, what do you want me to do? The second question we need to ask ourselves is, where is my security? We need to get out of the point of going, my security is found in how I feel. Your feelings lie to you often. Have you ever had a feeling that was a wrong decision? How many of you have ever wanted to get a divorce? 
Don't don't lie. We're in church. You know lightning bolts fly out of this place. Right? It's not because I didn't love my wife, and it's not because I didn't know the right thing to say. It's because in that moment, I didn't feel it. And you know what? Feelings don't drive Christians. Christians stomp on feelings and go, this isn't the way I live. I live based on truth. So what's your security in? My security is not found in the way I feel, how things are doing. You have to do what God is calling you to do. Here's one sure way to make sure that you put your trust in God. You get to the point where you go, God, you can have anything and I own nothing. Some of you, your house is growing and God's house is falling apart. And I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're not going to go, man, I had a beautiful house. It's going to be sold to the highest bidder. What does last is what you sow into the kingdom. What God gives lasts forever. You're like, Daryl, you don't, you don't know. It's easy for you as a pastor to do this because that's what you're used to doing. Some of you don't know this about me, but I suffer from debilitating panic attacks. Like they're bad. Right? You know what sets off a panic attack? Crowds. Rejection. Nervousness. Stress. Feeling inadequate. There are times that I will be tucked under this stage before I have to come out here. And you're like, why would you do that? Because it's not my will, it's his will. I don't know how much more clear I could be with everybody in this room. I didn't want this job. But God wanted me to have this job, which means Daryl does what God says. If my job is to push through panic attacks and speak to crowds every week, then that's what you do. You don't second guess it. I hate flying. Jesus sends me around the globe. He doesn't go, hey, Daryl, when you feel like flying, do that. No, he's like, as a matter of fact, since you don't feel like flying, I'm going to prove to you that you're not going to die the way you think you're going to die. I'm going to take care of it. Get on the airplane. Why? Because it's not my will. It's God's will. My trust is in him and him alone. I don't trust the government. I don't trust. When I say I don't trust people, it's not because I don't like people. I don't put my trust in people. I put my trust in God, the third question you have to ask yourself is this. Have I offered my blessing back to God to be, for it to be made greater for the kingdom? Becoming a Christ follower means every resource you have goes back to God for him to make it greater. What God can do with our finances, we could never do on our own. What God can do through us with our faithfulness. God loves to give his people. There are many of you God has richly blessed, but you think it was for you to build another slide. How many of you have ever bought something for your children on Christmas that they didn't like by New Year's? Christmas is right around the corner. I had this conversation with my youngest son. I'm like, hey, what do you want? He's run out of things. He's 13. And the reality is, is it doesn't mean anything. They have thousands of choice. They tell me all the time, I'm bored. I'm like, that's impossible. 
You have a whole room dedicated to happiness. My childhood, we had the greatest toy ever, a stick. You went outside and you used that stick to peel poop out of your shoe because the neighbor didn't pick up. We didn't, uh, that's a whole nother sermon. I ain't got time for that. Don't understand why people pick up after their dog. Dog's confused, going, why couldn't I just do this in the house? When you are blessed, God expects you to be a blessing for the future. You're not blessed without a purpose, and the more blessed you are, the more accountable you are. Hear me out. It is better for you to have nothing than to have much. The Bible talks about this several times. It is harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for the poor. Why? Because the rich man's got a lot to lose. The poor man's like, I'm in. You had me, I'll give you everything. I had two pennies. I'm in. All in. But if you really want to be blessed, watch what you give, not what you receive. And we want to bless the next generation. Here, I want to make this very clear. God does not call you to give what you don't have. Over the next five weeks, you're not going to hear me say, you need to go out and do things that you cannot afford. You are not to go broke building this church. But you should be sold out to the mission and willing to listen to whatever God tells you to do. You're not to go into debt to build this church. That is not spiritually accurate, and anybody who told you to do that is wrong. But you are supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you and do whatever it tells you to do. It's not about equal amounts. Jesus is so impressed with a woman who has two mites, two pennies. Scripture says, references, historical figures say that she might have had four total pennies, and she gives two of them. Jesus is so impressed with her two pennies that he tells everybody about them. Why, but it wasn't an equal donation. It was a step of faith that was so huge. Unless you want to live on two pennies, learn how to give out of what you have. Because Jesus can handle this one of two ways. You will learn a spiritual lesson. Either you learn to give out of what you have or you'll end up with a two-penny land. Then it won't be so hard for you to give what you don't have. God presents Abraham with a stark choice. Hold on to what you have, and you'll end up empty. Hold on to what you have. Look, we can't even pay the light bill on this side of the stage. Okay, some of you are freaked out. It's happening now. I'm going to have to stand over here. Dave, cut this half of the stage off. We have to understand these two choices. Hold on to your things, do it your way, Abraham, and end up empty. That's what God tells him. Do it your way, you'll be 75 without children. Or you can do it my way, which is letting go, choosing to follow you, and then see what I do in you. See if I don't make you the father of many nations. See if I don't change the world because of you. And let me tell you something. The next five weeks, today's simple application is very simple. All I'm asking from every person in this room 
is to commit to make a commitment and to commit to pray. If you come here next week and you're like, I'm ready to give, I'll be like, you haven't prayed hard enough. Double what you just thought. You'll go back and pray if I say that. You'll be like, I don't know. Pastor lost his mind. Straight up said, double it. That's not what I'm going to ask you. I'm just asking you for five weeks to pray over something. Don't get swept up in the emotion and don't be like, well, this is what we have to do. Our team put together what Take the Hills is all about. Take a look. June 6, 1944, 50 men are asked to volunteer to be pathfinders for one of the largest invasions in history. I'm standing on a piece of that history today. The LST here in Evansville was used in the invasion of Normandy. Those 50 men went ahead and charted the course that changed the course of the entire war. Our history starts just over three years ago the Hills Church was launched by an ordinary group of people with a mission to seek and save the lost, the broken, no matter the cost. Since the beginning, the Hills has been anything but typical. Our first official service took place in a local church called The Gathering. A few weeks later, after launching, we welcomed an average of 500 people every weekend, and it was obvious we needed more space. So later that fall, we started meeting at the old National Events Plaza. Within two months, we had grown by more than 400 people. And after being established for only one year, we baptized nearly 80 people. And on our first birthday, we celebrated by launching our second campus an hour away at the Branchville Correctional Facility. Today, we average about 1,100 people every weekend. The explosive growth we've experienced is one of a kind. Experts in church growth tell us they've never seen a church launch quite like us. It'd be easy to put things on cruise control. The more we grow, the easier it is to become more comfortable. Make no mistake about it, we've not arrived. Our past victories don't help us win today's battle. Somebody once said that death comes to a church when the memories from the past supersede into the future. In a way, our work has only just begun. The vision before us to reach the tri-state region is urgent. The stakes are high because lives are at stake. We often say the most important people at the hills are those who aren't here yet. And honestly, the second we forget and lose focus is the moment we should close our doors. So let me be clear, we'll never be a country club that exist to pamper the Christians. We're a hospital relentlessly giving all we have to rescue the broken and the wounded. You see, in a way, we're at war. There's a battle taking place that we don't see. The church started with the resolve to always die on the hill of doing what it takes to reach people Jesus came to seek and save. As we look towards the future to determine our battle plan, we have a few challenges and obstacles that have the potential to keep us from our vision. One, we, we have a very small staff for our size of church. We don't have a building. We didn't just give birth to a baby. We gave birth to an adult baby that weighs 100 pounds. We don't have much margin in our schedules to develop processes and systems because services happen every week and ministry happens every day. We're limited by the tools that we can buy. 
We have the baggage and the bad versions of Jesus that people have every day. And then we have the average church politics that everyone has. But throughout the Bible, the image of a hill often represents a challenge. Yet hills are also locations where God shows up and he meets with his people. Genesis 22, the hill represented sacrifice where Abraham offered his son Isaac to God. Exodus 19, the hill is where God met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. 1 Kings 18, the hill, Mount Carmel, it represented God's power and intervention. The prophet Elijah slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal on that mountain. Psalm 121, the hills represent perspective and face. Where does my help come from? It says, I look to the hills. Matthew 17, the hill where Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. But it also represented rest. Luke 22, the base of the Mount of Olives is, where the, is the hill where Jesus wept and prayed before his betrayal. And in Matthew 28, the hill is where Jesus gathered his followers for their mission, the Great Commission. There are challenges and there are obstacles and there are hills in front of us, but the hills before us are also the very places where God, our God who is for us, is also going to meet us. If Paul is right in Romans 8, when saying that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, what do we have to fear? Following Jesus results in fearless living. The mission in front of us is to introduce people in the tri-state region to Jesus. Our long-term vision is to reach the entire Midwest with hills, campuses, in cities with big populations. But it starts here, and it starts now, one person at a time. You see, reaching people who have never been reached demands that we do things that have never been done. Winning this battle requires being timely and strategic. For this reason, I'm asking that you join us on this two-year journey called Take the Hills. Isaiah chapter 25 says, at that time, people will say, the Lord has saved us, let's celebrate. We waited and we hoped now our God is here. The powerful arm of the Lord will protect this mountain. The powerful arm of the Lord is after the hearts in Evansville, the Midwest and the world. He's the defender and protector of the people on this mountain. Our job is to make sure as many people will be on that hill as possible. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life Everything we do around here is about Jesus and reaching people with the hope and new life he brings. What if the Hills was known as the most loving church in the Midwest? What if we were the church known for looking like Jesus? What would happen if the day came where there was no more depression, abortion, or welfare? What would be different if we saw Jesus as a strong, fierce warrior who didn't run from sin, pain, or dysfunction. This is a rescue mission. As we fight to bring hope, alleviate suffering, and reach Evansville and beyond with the life-changing power of the gospel. Over the next two years, we're going to take the hills on two fronts. Hill number one is $2.7 million to fund our general budget for 2022 and 2023. 
to continue our ongoing efforts to reach people every day for Jesus by fueling the lifeblood of everything we do on a daily basis. Weekend services, family ministry, outreach opportunities that are meeting tangible needs locally and across the globe. Hill number two, $2 million towards our building fund. This additional designated funding to construct our permanent church building, not only for our congregation, but as a gift to our neighbors. We want to create a safe and fun environment where people from all across the community feel at home. Our long-term vision would be for this to be eventually become a community center full of multi-use spaces conducive for people to connect for work, for play, and so much more. Now, obviously, you can see this is an incredible thing. And victory depends on 100% participation. This is our hill to climb. It's gonna take every one of us. This vision doesn't depend on a few. Moving from dream to reality will only happen if it's embraced by all. But guys, you need to understand the priority. The $4.7 million, that's the secondary goal. There's an even bigger, more important goal that takes the front seat of this Take the Hills vision. You see, Take the Hills is not primarily about dollars. The vision, it's gonna require dollars, yeah. It's gonna require dollars to fund the vision. We get that. But hear me loud and clear. God could rain down dollars on this church today. That would reach the goal, but that's not the primary goal. The primary goal of Take the Hills is not to fundraise. It's that every single person at the Hills Church is gonna experience God in significant ways by taking next steps in faith and generosity, by growing in their trust of God with their finances, by jumping into the kingdom mission of helping people find their way back to Him. The primary goal of Take the Hills is 100% engagement. My hero, President Reagan, in his first inaugural address in 1981, said this, for those who say we live in a day and a time where there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers. Under such a marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. After Private Treptow was killed, a diary was found in which he had inscribed the following pledge. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work. I will save. I will sacrifice. I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. A single act of courage is often the catalyst for the extraordinary. It takes courageous people willing to pray fiercely and to give sacrificially in order for many more to experience the life-changing power of Jesus. Church, it's time to take the hills. Amen. I believe that. I believe it in the inspiration for our entire Take the Hills campaign, our veterans. Veterans Day was this past Thursday. If you're a veteran, will you throw your hand up at me real quick? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And the reason they, they stem as the inspiration is whether you believe it or not, you stand on their shoulders. You stand on their sacrifice. You stand on their willingness. You're not speaking today in German because of World War II veterans. Guys you may never meet that laid down their life so that we can have what we have. Freedom, Ronald Reagan said, who is like one of my heroes, and you might not understand that unless you come from a communist country like my family did. Freedom is never more than one generation away from losing it. You know why we're building this church? It's not for us. It's because Cordero's got children. John has children. The Harris have children. We all have children who depend on us to put them first. Right now, you saw all those 20 snotty little middle schoolers running out of here, hyped up on sugar. They're the next generation. They're the ones we're building this church for. The reason I'm so excited is I firmly believe this, that our generation's ceiling is going to be our children's and grandchildren's floor to build their spiritual life off of. That they won't have to start over. They don't have to worry about setting up and tearing down. They won't have to move all over the city. They won't have to figure out where their youth can come to on Wednesday night. We're building a building that children can destroy, and I'm going to love every piece of it because that means the next generation is involved in the spiritual matters of the church. I'm not building a church that's going to make us happy. We're not getting nicer digs than this. If you're over 40, you're going to be with me. But your children and their children and your grandchildren, they will thank you for the sacrifices you make today. I can't wait to be an old pastor. I can't wait to be 65 and go, man, you should have seen us back in the day. We were a ragtag group, and you'll never know the amount of sacrifice that went into this to make sure that you came out on top. We're not building a training center for us. We're building it for the next generation. I don't know how long I'm going to last doing this. I might die tomorrow the way I eat. But you know what? When we put... That shovel in the ground today, life change happens in that building. Deaconess has got no hospital better than what we're getting ready to do. Deaconess can heal your body. We're going to be healing soul after soul after marriage after every one of those. And generations are going to line up to thank you in heaven, not for what you gave them, but what you sacrificed for them. You're going to be lined up in heaven, and you're going to be shaking hands of people who are still thanking you for your sacrifice. Why? Because greater love has no man than to lay down his life 
for his friend. I'm already thinking at 40 years old, I'm not going to make it to 100. But every day that I have, it's going to be left with the idea of following Jesus and going, what's best for the next generation? Why? Because my goal before I die is that 99% of Evansville is following Jesus. That one is Dave. I haven't been able to convince Dave to follow Jesus yet. And I'll be working on him. And if I just make it to heaven and he's on the outside living in the hut that I throw over, I'll come talk to him every day at the gate. Why? Because our, our mission isn't done until everybody knows Jesus. How cool would it be if Evansville was a place that launched one of the greatest, strongest, fearless churches in America? That people left here going, wow, Jesus is awesome. Marriages were put back together in that building. So don't look at it when we go out there today. So here's what I'm asking you to do. What now? The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to commit to commit. Don't miss a Sunday over the next five weeks. Our first big offering is on December 12th. That's Commitment Sunday. You have cards on your seats. Dave's going to explain those in just a second. It's a two-year commitment. We're not trying to raise $5 million in 12 months. It's two years going down the line. And this afternoon at 3 p.m., I want you to come and be a part of, put a shovel in the ground and go, God, I'm with you. I've got a part in this, and I'm going to see it through to the end. But the best part of every part of what we're doing is that 100 years from now, we may not be here. I'm probably not going to make it. But somebody will be thanking God because of what you did. My grandchildren will be thanking God because of the sacrifices every one of us made. Our elders are in this room, all three of them. None of us are going to be here 100 years from now. They're not even going to be here 100 days from now. But you know what? We're convicted about reaching people. And the strides that we take forward are going to change people's lives. So don't come to me next week and be like, Pastor, I'm all in. You've got to pray about it for five weeks and get committed in your heart. Will you stand with me all across this place? Heavenly Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. God, that we are convicted to follow Jesus like Abraham followed Jesus. That we'll make the hard choices now. We will do the sacrifice. God, we will do everything as if the issue counted on us alone. God, we trust you, we follow you, we follow your prompting, your leading. God, I am so excited to put a new hospital in this town of spiritual healing where thousands upon thousands upon thousands are going to come to know you, Jesus. And it all started with a ragtag bunch of people who nobody thought could do it. 
who have been hurt and re-hurt and forgave and forgave and forgave and moved forward. God, the mission you called us to is greater than any individual and the call of God is irrevocable. We stand on your words and we promise to commit and stay with you throughout this entire journey. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give Jesus a big hand this morning?